0: Welcome to Grace Harvest Church's weekly podcast. For more information about Grace Harvest Church or to find out more about something you hear during the podcast, visit us online at graceharvestchurch.org. Now listen in and allow God to speak to you through this week's message. It's hard to transition after sharing an announcement like that, but we're going to transition into the scripture right now. And if you want to get a little bit of a jump on the text of the Bible I'm going to mostly be focusing on today, you can turn to Matthew's Gospel, the 18th chapter. Matthew chapter 18. And you just hold your finger there or mark that. And Lord, help me speak today and help us hear. My message is it's good to be home. We've been forgiven to forgive. We've been forgiven to forgive, amen? Doug Deal tells this funny story, he says, the monks at a remote monastery deep in the woods followed a rigid vow of silence. Their vow could only be broken once a year, they could only speak one time a year. And that was on Christmas by one monk in the monastery. That monk could only speak one sentence. So one Christmas, Brother Thomas had his turn to speak. And he stood up and he said, I love the delightful mashed potatoes we've had every year with the Christmas roast. And he sat back down. Well, 365 days passed and silence ensued. Nobody spoke. And the next Christmas, Brother Michael got his turn. And he stood up and he said, I think the mashed potatoes are lumpy, and I truly despise them. Once again, he sat down and was silent for 365 days. The following Christmas, Brother Paul rose and said, I am fed up with all of this constant bickering. (laughs) I love that story. That'd be a bummer if a conflict ensued and happened and you didn't have the ability to communicate about it, wouldn't it? You know, we've been learning the last several weeks that the church is a lot like a family. We've learned that we're called together to relate to each other like families do. Families have conflict, amen? Families have drama, right? Families have sin, and I know sin isn't a popular concept today, but all you have to do is live with yourself for a few hours a day, and most of us do 24 hours a day. And we come to understand that sin is a reality. It's at work inside of us. Families have to overcome these issues. And families that do overcome them learn healthy ways of confronting their conflict, their drama, and their issues. Families learn the power of loving confrontation and forgiveness. Christian families learn the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of us have broken God's commandments, amen? All of us have sinned against God. Our sin was what put the Son of God, Jesus, on a Roman cross. God forgives us in His Son. That's the story of the gospel. And I've learned something as I've been a a dad, and that is dad's sin. Mom's sin. Kid's sin. It's the same way in the church. We all sin, so we all need the saving power of Jesus daily. Today I'm going to share how we can navigate healthy confrontation and live in forgiveness with one another. Forgiveness is Christianity 101. Listen carefully to this statement. Forgiveness is Christianity 101. If you never learn to genuinely forgive people, and grow in grace toward others, you will never progress as a follower of Jesus. It has been my observation that no matter how much Bible knowledge you have, no matter how often you go to church, no matter how often you engage in religious or spiritual activities, if you are a person to harbor resentment and not go through the process of learning to forgive those who have sinned against you and have held things against you, those who have grudges, Um, if you don't learn that process, you will be stunted, you will freeze, and you will grow no further in your walk with Jesus Christ. Not only that, but I'm going to show you today that if you don't learn to forgive people, you will not be forgiven by God. And that's a radical concept. We don't like to talk about it in the church, but it's stated over and over and over again. So we're going to go to the first point today, my first point is we forgive others because we've been forgiven. We are forgiven because God doesn't count our sin against us. Before we can forgive others and not count their sins against them, we must understand that in Christ, God forgives our sin and doesn't count it against us. Jesus' death in our place made forgiveness possible, amen? Romans 4, verses 6 through 8 says this, Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works, verse 7, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm grateful today that God doesn't count my sin against me. That because of Jesus and Jesus alone, because of his death upon a Roman cross, I can stand before God and he counts me righteous, apart from my works, apart from my deeds, in his son, and I need merely trust in that work that God has done. Come on, somebody give me an amen. That's what makes the gospel so revolutionary. The gospel isn't, I sin, now I feel bad about it, I know it's terrible, God's offended with it, so now what I need to do is punish myself, um, do a whole lot of things to really make God aware that I feel bad for what I've done, and I'm not saying you shouldn't feel bad, you should and you should confess it, but many people punish themselves and they wait and they go through long seasons of unworthiness and it's like they go through self-flagellation and they try to convince themselves, you know, I'm paying for my sin, Lord, see it, I feel really bad. See how long I'm suffering because of my sin? Please, God, forgive me. Please forgive me. And as they do that, they don't understand that in the eyes of God, God looks upon that as filthy, as wicked. He looks upon that as them trying to stand in the place of his own son. he says of that, I don't receive it. I don't want you trying to pay for your sin and be good enough for me to love you. I want you to trust in what my son Jesus did. And that alone See, it's an affront to God when we seek to pay for our own sin by self-flagellation, right? It's an affront. We think we have to go through some kind of penance. It's an affront. It's not the gospel. You don't pay for your sins. They've been paid for already. Therefore, we can forgive because we're forgiven. Excuse me. The basis, the ability, and the power to forgive others issues from the central Christian message that God forgives us in and through Christ. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. It says then, put on then, this is us, he's talking to God's people. He's told us all about Jesus and his resurrection, his power, his life, his love, his death on the cross, and then he says because of that, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, this is what he tells us to put on, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Listen to this, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, you so you also must forgive. Now again, it's been my experience in the church that a lot of people feel like them forgiving another is optional. And I just want to tell you, it's not. You are under an obligation. Now, you may feel like I don't have the power to do it, and you don't, and that's okay. That's why we flee to God for His help. I've prayed many times, Lord, I don't want to forgive them. I want to scratch their eyeballs out, stomp on them, knock them to the ground, punch them in the throat. good throat punch would feel really good right now. Now, some of you right now, you're looking at me like, that's terrible. I would never, liar. (laughs) You've thought it. We've all fantasized and entertained moments of making somebody pay for what they did to us or our family or our children. We've all gone through that. Listen, that's a normal thing. It's a normal human reaction to get angry. Injustice toward us or another human being is okay. It's right. Anger is a God-given emotion. It's okay to be angry for a while. But if you harbor anger, it will eat you up, it will consume you, it will destroy you. It will fill you with bitterness, and everybody that tastes your fruit will be infected by it. So eventually, you're going to have to seek God for help. You're going to have to ask Him for the power to forgive, or you're going to bind yourself up in a prison. Matthew 18 later tells us that. We must forgive because we've been forgiven. We see it over and over again. Matthew 6, 14, and 15. Look at what Jesus, the Son of God, said. By the way, let me just point out that this is right after he gave us the pattern of prayer in the Lord's Prayer. Right after he's told us how to pray in the Lord's Prayer, he tells us this. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Well, some of you right now, you're just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You mean God won't forgive us? Sometimes I thought God forgave us unconditionally. We've been conditioned to believe that unconditional love means no consequence, no challenge, God not disciplining us for our sin. We've been conditioned wrongly about what unconditional love is. I love my kids unconditionally when they were growing up. But I'll tell you what. If one of them went blatantly against a known rule in our home, they were disciplined. That demonstrated my love. Discipline demonstrates love when it's done lovingly and rightly. With the idea being reconciliation and the restoration of the soul of the individual, discipline is part of what love is. We live in a society today that doesn't even want to acknowledge sin. Even in the church, we have people out there preaching a gospel of of grace that is extreme, that goes beyond what the Bible teaches. And I'm an extreme grace guy. But let me tell you something. Sin crucified Jesus. My sin, your sin, crucified Jesus. And it's an affront to him for us to go along in a cavalier attitude and expect, well, God understands, God loves me, he gets it, he knows that I'm just you know, going through sin stuff. He gets it. He just kind of says, go ahead. No, he doesn't. He pursues you. He woos you. He works on the inside of you, convicting you, and he tries to draw you over and over to the cross so you will forsake your sin, walk away from it, because it's damning your soul. It's hurting you inside. It's making you dark, and he wants to liberate you. Just saying. I've learned something. When I sin, I don't run from God. I run to the cross with all my heart. I run and throw myself at His feet and at His mercy. And I say, this is why you died. Here I am. Sinner. All of it. Right here. And this is why I'm here. Because I need that cross. I don't avoid it. I run to it. I love this quote by George Herbert. He says, He who cannot forgive others... Breaks the bridge over which he must pass himself. Think about it. Think about it like a bridge. You got to go over that bridge regularly and you got to have a little talk with Jesus. Right? You kind of blow that bridge up when you don't forgive others and you can't get back over there. Which takes me to the process. The process of loving confrontation and forgiveness. Are you in Matthew 18? I said that was our main text. Here we go. Matthew 18, 15 through 20. Jesus, I love Jesus, just lays it out for us. By the way, I want to ask you to notice something as you read this. I want you to ask yourself the question. Let's personalize it. That's a, a, a principle of reading the Scripture. Put yourself in the text. Let's personalize I want you to put yourself in this text right now. And I want you to ask yourself this question. When people offend me or sin against me, do I do this process? And if you don't, I want to challenge you. You are not off the hook. This is the process Jesus laid out for us. We don't have our own process we come up with. This is the process. So, what does it say? If your brother, and this means sister to, the word brother is a Greek word that means brothers and sisters, okay? If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. Circle the word alone if you have a paper Bible. Notice it doesn't say if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between, no, wait. If your brother sins against you, go and tell your friends, your family members, other people around you, his fault. It doesn't say that. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. Wow. It can end right there. But if he does not listen, get out of my face. I don't care anything you have to say. Stick it in your ear. Take one or two others. It doesn't say two or three. People confuse that all the time. Take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. The two or three are yourself and the one or two others, okay? If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. I'm going to explain how that works in this modern context. Tell it to the church. And if he refuses even to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. I will elaborate on that as well. Verse 18, Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth... Now, let me stop and just show you some. A lot of people in here have been taught about binding and loosing and authority in spiritual warfare. Now you know the context. Binding and loosing has nothing to do with speaking to spirits in the spirit realm and telling them they're bound or they're loosed. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with interpersonal relationships in the church. And, and what Jesus is saying is that when those things are right, heaven is released on earth, right? And if they're not done right, Heaven is bound. It's, you don't see that interaction between heaven and earth. So let's continue. I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Again, you can use that text in prayer, but it's not talking about prayer. It's talking about working out interpersonal relationships. If you agree and you work through these things, I'm right there with you in the process. And look what it continues, for where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. So Jesus is still continuing his same thought, and he's saying, look, when you do that, when two or three are working their stuff out, I'm right there with you. I want you to know I'm present in those meetings. Right? That kinda, how many of you just had your theology about prayer and all kinds of stuff just kind of blowing away, right? Some people are like, see, the church, you know, if two or three are gathered in my name, that's church, man. Well, yes, to a degree, but it's not talking about that. It's talking about how you work out conflicts, how you deal with unforgiveness in the church. I'm messing all kinds of you up. So, so what, do, what is Jesus' prescription for resolving conflicts? This is taken from the Life Application Commentary, and this is his advice for how we keep peace. So we're going to take that text and break it down. Number one, don't ignore conflict. Address it. Verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. The Life Application Commentary goes on to say this, this call to confrontation is not a license for a frontal attack on every person who hurts or slights us. So you should approach people prayerfully and humbly and gently, right? But nevertheless, don't ignore it, right? Many misunderstandings and hurt feelings can be solved at this stage. This saves church leaders from getting involved in everyone's personal concerns. Personal confrontation also keeps believers from gossiping with one another. Instead, believers are to be mature enough to go directly to the source and deal with the problem at that level. This is so important. I know people who've left churches because of gossip. Gossip is a terrible thing, isn't it? You know, we could deal with 90% probably of the gossip in the church if we just would go deal with people one-on-one and quit talking smack about people behind their back, right? Think about it. Am I speaking to anybody today? Two of you. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Number two, don't exaggerate conflict. Solve it with the least possible publicity and public scrutiny. I love that. Between you and him alone. And if he receives you, you've won your brother. But if he doesn't, you just take one or two more along with you. You don't take a lynch mob. You don't make it about a coalition. You don't get people on your side. You don't begin to build a case. You just take one or two more after you've gone to them between you and them alone because they're not receiving what you have to say. Then you take one or two more. Now, here's what I found. I'm just going to stop here real quick. This is what I found. I found that most people abandon the process at that point if they even start the process. Or this is what people will say. I didn't go to Bob. If you're Bob, don't take this personally. I'm not talking about you. Maybe I am. I don't know. Maybe the Holy Spirit's talking to you, Bob. But what about Bob, right? But where was I? <laughs> This is what happens with many people. They say, well, you know, I just, I know, Bob, he won't receive it, so I'm not going to go to him. I prayed about it. And I'm like, chapter and verse. Show me where Jesus said, if you pray about it and the Lord shows you they won't receive it, then don't go to them. Show that to me in Scripture. I just, I need some enlightenment. You are reading something I've never read before. Second Opinions chapter 4, Hezekiah chapter 8, where in the Bible are you finding this text that lets you off the hook... For not going to your brother or your sister and talking to them face to face. Where is that? I I can't find it. You see, don't exaggerate it. Do it with the least publicity and public scrutiny. You know, God doesn't like to... Think about this. God's not into airing our sins. Aren't you glad? I mean, what if all of a sudden, you know, there was a new thing in the Bible where everybody had to air their sins publicly? Some of you right now would be running for the door. I would be... You know, it's so funny, isn't it? I'm going to... Can I talk a little bit about this morning? Okay. So I'm pro- I got a message prepared about forgiveness, and right as I'm coming to church, Peggy and I have a conflict. It's like the, the, you know, and I was just about to blame the devil, but I'm not going to do that. But you always get tested, don't you? Right? You always get tested. And we had to work through it. My heart rate went up. My blood pressure went up. I bet my face was starting to turn red. She was pretty hurt. I was pretty bugged. We went back and forth a few times. And finally, just before we walked out the door to drive here, we resolved our conflict. And we hugged each other, and it was all good. And then we got here, and she said, it's kind of funny that you're speaking on this today. <laughs> I just thought, isn't that just like the Lord, right? Oh, yeah, Doug? Tell him how it's done. (laughs) Number three, don't abandon conflict. Pursue it to a resolution. We must be willing to complete the process that Jesus has laid out for us. There's no excuse for just letting it go as we so often do. Many times when we say we're letting it go, we're merely harboring an offense, Notice the process between you and them alone with one or two more, and then to the church. Resolve it. We won't see it through to the end. We won't go through the process. Now listen, there are times, you'll notice in the text in Colossians, it says bear with one another. There are times that the stuff that offends you about your brother or sister is so petty, and it's personality-based, or it's just that they see things differently, and it's not something, you know, you, need, you do need to get over it. Sometimes we just need to get over stuff right? Sometimes we're just so sensitive, we get hurt over everything, and we judge everybody's motives, and we think we understand people's hearts, and we don't. I can't even know my own heart, Paul says. How can I know my brother or my sister's heart? How can I judge someone else's motives? I can't. I can't see inside of the complexity of the human soul. I don't know what's really going on inside you, so how can I do that? And how can you do that with me? How can you know who I really am on the inside? God knows that, I don't justify myself either. God knows I might be worse than you think. Probably am. But He's the one that knows that. Right? He's the one that knows that. But when it comes to dealing with conflict ourselves, we we don't abandon the process. We don't let ourselves off the hook. And this is how you know if you've let it go. You know you've let it go. If you can be around that person, interact with them, you can hug them, you can talk with them, and everything's good, and there's no sense of... You know, I despise you. I don't want to be around you. You know, that's when you know you've really dealt with it. So resolve it. Take it all the way. Number four, don't fence yourself in by conflict. Taking one or two witnesses requires that you're also open to reproof and correction. Having witnesses along with you protects you, the person you're confronting, and helps to avoid confusion. All these steps are very important. So you take one or more with you if you can't resolve it between the two of you because there's a principle there. Sometimes another set of eyes is really helpful. You know, we have a process even in the bylaws of our church for moderating disputes among people. And, you know, you read that when you, those of you who are members, you read that when you became members here and you agreed to, if I have a conflict or a dispute with someone, I'm going to walk through this process. It's Matthew 18 laid out. And there's a process in there for moderating disputes. Why is it in there? Because we need sometimes somebody else to see what we can't see. So maybe you go to your brother and you say, you did this to me and you did that to me. And they say, I did not. You're misunderstanding. No, you're not. You won't receive me. And they walk away. And, and, and now, you know, you look like the bad person that offended them. Well, if they go and get one or two more, or they get one and you get one and the, three, and the four of you meet, now somebody else has the opportunity to objectively hear both sides of you tell, their, tell your story. And they can help you navigate that. And it might be that at the end, as it often is, that, hey, you know, you're both kind of wrong in this. You know, your attitude really stunk, right? Sometimes, how many of you know, sometimes you can be right with a really wrong heart, right? You can just be like, I'm right, you stupid idiot. May the Lord curse you with a brick beside your head. Okay, so you get my point. Number five, don't recycle conflict. Once resolved, let it go and get back to your life. Forgiveness and reconciliation are the ultimate goal of any confrontation. You hear that? Forgiveness and reconciliation are the ultimate goal of any confrontation. Once the conflict is resolved, neither the offended party nor the one who sinned have a right to hold on to the offense or treat the other person with coldness. If the offending party refuses to make right the offense, it may be necessary to suspend relationship with that person. That's If they refuse to do that, you might have to suspend relationship. If that's happened, it's so important that the offended party forgives from their heart and moves on with their life. Move on with your life and your relationships. Work it through to uh, to resolution, but if they don't ever change, you know, get it out with God, get it worked out, forgive them from the heart, and move on with your relationship. And then I have two more additional thoughts, or I guess three more. And these are, I've given you a bunch of don'ts, here's some do's. Do pray for the offender and seek to change their heart. Treating someone like a tax collector and a sinner includes trying to change their heart. I've often thought this is interesting. Jesus said, treat them like a tax collector and a sinner. And we're like, yeah, reject them, make them feel bad. Let's reexamine that. If he refuses even to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Again, the ultimate goal is restoration of the person and the relationship. That culture treated sinners and tax collectors with rejection. But Listen to this. Jesus reached out to sinners and tax collectors and sought to change their minds and hearts with the gospel. If the person stubbornly refuses, you've done what you can do." Now when it says, tell the church, it doesn't mean come up here on a Sunday morning, after you've gone through the process and, Pastor Doug, can I have the mic? Yeah. Yeah. Bob hasn't repented, I've confronted him. Brought. One or two more with me, and now it's time to tell the church. This is what Bob did, and start to tell the whole church. I believe the best context for that in our current um, state, the way we do church, is to go to someone in the leadership of the church and have them walk with you through it, right? Amen? So, pray for the offender. Seek to change their heart. I love this story by Gordon McDonald, a Nigerian woman who is a physician at a great teaching hospital in the United States, came out of the crowd today to say something kind about a lecture I'd just given. She introduced herself using an American name. "'What's your African name?' I asked. She immediately gave it to me, several syllables long with a musical sound to it. "'What does the name mean?' I wondered. She answered, "'It means child who takes the anger away.'" When I inquired as to why she would have been given this name, she said, My parents had been forbidden by by their parents to marry, but they loved each other so much that they defied the family opinions and married anyway. For several years, they were ostracized from both of their families. Then my mother became pregnant with me. And when the grandparents held me in their arms for the first time, the walls of hostility came down. I became the one who swept the anger away. And that's the name my mother and father gave me. It occurred to me, he says that her name would be a suitable one for Jesus. Amen? The one who takes the anger away. So that takes me to my next point. Do trust in God to discipline and change the person's heart. Here's the problem. The reason a lot of times we won't go through the process is we like playing God. Let's just be honest. Most of us, we don't really trust God to deal with people, and we feel like we have to. We won't trust the time it takes, the process it takes. We want to be God. That was the original temptation with Adam and Eve. It's the original temptation in our lives today. We want to be God. We want that person to pay. We want them to feel bad. We want them to know how wrong they were. We want them to understand the injustice and the pain they caused. And so we punish and we punish and we gossip and we backbite and we hold it at arm's length and we make sure they know. You are a bad person, and you're going to pay for it. God doesn't give us the right to do that. God says, um, you know, uh, why don't you let me be God? I can deal with them a lot better than you can. See, I've learned something over the years. I've learned that I can go above them. I can go to my father, right? And that's his son or his daughter, and I can say, Father, I put them in your hands. I've seen this happen in my marriage. I've seen my wife demonstrate it. We've had conflict over something, not agreeing on something, and and we we come to an impasse, and she's right, and I don't want to admit it, and um, she just like yields. And we go away from the situation, and she starts to cheat. (laughs) She prays. She prays, says, Lord, Doug's your boy. You know how to deal with him. And I'll be like reading my Bible and in the back of my mind, in my heart, I'll just be hearing, you know, you know she's right. You know you're being stubborn. You know you're holding on. You know you're proud. You need to give it up. You need to yield. You need to repent. Okay. And then I go in, you know, to talk to her, my arms behind my back, and I'm like, uncle, uncle. Uncle right? God is above me. She just sidesteps the whole process and goes straight to my father, and God listens to her. Amen. See, when you trust God to discipline and change the person's heart, something powerful happens. The agreement of the individuals involved and the church carries authority in the eyes of God. Listen to Matthew 18 through 20, verses 18 through 20. I'm sorry. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two... If two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So the Lord's saying, if you go through the process and you're coming before God with this, when you commit this process to God and you do it His way, you've released, you've loosed heaven's authority and you've bound that person to it. But if you don't, if you try to take it into your own hands, you bind yourself and you bind me from acting on their behalf. Whoa, that's a whole new view of binding and loosing. It gives you a completely different view of of spiritual authority, which takes me to my last point. Do expect God's presence and support throughout the entire process. Do expect it. If we fulfill the process laid out in Scripture, God has promised to back up our decision and to be present with us in a tangible way. What a promise. Verses 19 and 20. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. So what's God saying? You do it my way, my personal presence is going to be with you. Isn't that what we want? Don't we live for the presence of the Lord? And and conversely, if we're not going God's way, are we like, I'm not saying God's presence ever leaves us, we know it doesn't once you're a Christian, but there is that awareness, there is that manifest awareness of God's presence, and we can block that out by holding on to resentment and bitterness. And so some of us, you you might be here today and you might be like, I haven't felt God in a long time, or I haven't heard his voice in a long time. And, And maybe you're just going through a dark night of the soul, no fault of yours at all. You're just you're experiencing that because God is working with you, doing something in you. But it could be, it might be that you're harboring resentment. You're a grudge keeper, you're unforgiving, and you're blaming others. And God wants you to make it right. Repent and Make those relationships right and get healed up. You might find that God's presence just breaks on your life in a whole new way. Amen. Go read in the gospel sometimes the number of times that people were healed by Jesus simply because he said, Your sins are forgiven you. Isn't it interesting that physical healing was connected to forgiveness? So, this is Christianity 101. Listen carefully, church. This is Christianity 101. This is the real stuff of how church families and regular families work out their stuff. And I'll tell you what, if we did a lot more of what I'm talking about here, we'd have a lot less church splits. We'd have a lot less people leaving churches and going to other churches thinking that going to a new church is going to solve their problem right? They get angry at the leadership. They get angry at somebody in the church. They're like, I'm done with that. Gossip about it a little bit, talk a little bit, and then they leave angry, and they go to the next church, and for a while, it's a honeymoon, and then somebody there ticks them off, and they do this, go through the same process, and it's just like this repeating process of never dealing with their issues, and that's not acceptable. And, you know, Paul the Apostle tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, in the communion chapter, he tells us that for this reason, these unresolved conflicts in the church, many among you are sick and even some die. That's profound. Unforgiveness has a way of like working in us, like poison and poisoning the well inside of us. And instead of sweetness, bitterness flows out. God wants to heal that. He wants to touch that. Now, listen, I'm calling us to something very high. I'm calling this to something that can't be done in human strength or ingenuity. But I want to tell you something. Don't sit there for a minute. If you're a follower of Christ and say, I can't do it. Don't say that because I want you to know something. You can with God's help. You can. And he will help you. Listen, if it's his will, it's his bill. Right? He's, going to pay. He's going to help you. He's going to give you what you need to forgive, to release, to be changed. And that's the beauty of the gospel. Amen? It's been said to err is human, to forgive is divine. There's an element of truth to that. True forgiveness of another comes out of a humility developed by a recognition of our own sinfulness. Right? The reason that I can forgive you is because I know me. Right? And if I keep that perspective right, it's easier to forgive. Because I've been forgiven, I must Forgive. Today, if you're here and you've never experienced the assurance that comes from knowing that God forgives your sin, it's time for you to confess your sin to Jesus and be forgiven. Do you know today you could be here carrying a burden that God doesn't want you to carry any longer and you can just cast it on Him? That's why Jesus died, for your sin. Be cleansed today. Become a child of God. And if you're here and you're holding a grudge against another, please ask God to enable you. We'll pray in just a minute. You ask God in that prayer, God, I'm having a hard time. Maybe they abused you horribly. Maybe you've been through sexual abuse or physical abuse or abandonment. Maybe horrific things were done to you and you're like, I can't do it. No, you can't, but there's a God who is able to give you the power to forgive. I've told you this story before, but Corey Ten Boom, she was in a concentration camp with the Nazis. Her entire family was killed. She was tortured and beaten over and over again. And when she finally got released, she asked God to give her the power to forgive the prison guards and all the people that abused her. And then she was in Europe somewhere speaking at an event, and she looks out, and one of the prison guards that abused her is in the audience. And she had a moment of truth. She faced an impossible situation. And inside of her, she's like having a conversation with God. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. And the Lord required her to do it. And when the meeting was over, he came up to her. He didn't recognize her. He came up to her and he began to talk to her and thank her. And he told her, I've had an encounter with Jesus Christ. He's my Savior now. And at that moment, she knew she had to reach her hand out and shake his hand and embrace him. And she went through this warfare inside. I can't do it. I can't do it. And finally she shook his hand and embraced him. And she said at that moment, it's like it melted away. There's some of you here, you make the choice and say, God, I know that I need to do this because you call me to do this, and I want to be forgiven. And if you'll do that, God's power will help you. You might have to say in the next six months or a year, 20 times a day, I forgive them, I forgive them. You might in your mind go through all the battle and all the warfare, but if you continue to choose to do what God's called you to do, God will help you and enable you, and you'll be able to forgive. Please do it. Don't hold on to to it. It's messing your life up. It's keeping you from progressing. You're not growing up. You're staying stunted. You're not growing up because you won't forgive, and God wants to enable you to forgive. Amen? Why don't you stand with me?